Good morning. That was my almost gone coffee. <sighs> Guess I gotta make another cup and start this podcast. But before I begin, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. And by let's, <laughs> I mean me. Because sweetheart, I can't hear ya. Anyways, hi there. My name is Harmony and I'm your host here on What the Actual Left. For those of you who have never tuned into an episode, first of all, <laughs> where you been? We come here weekly. And when we meet here, I'll tell you some of the most fucked up shit that I have found that happens around our world. Yeah, oftentimes this is crime. Every once in a while, there's a mystery in there. Maybe a strange disappearance, some odd haunted place, or even an urban legend. And if you're lucky, sometimes I'm feeling froggy and we'll put on our tinfoil hats and dive into conspiracies. Most of the time, what you're gonna get is an extremely over-caffeinated odd lady telling you fucked up stories. And if that sounds like your thing, then stick around, let's be friends, and meet me here every week. You and I can be strange and unusual together. So what do I have in store for you today? The English translation for the term au pair means at par or equal to. This would indicate that the relationship is intended to be one of equals. The au pair is intended to become sort of a member of the family. Yes, of course, a temporary one, but this is different than a traditional domestic worker. I'm sure many of us would also agree that the thought of moving abroad, though amazing and fun, can be extremely daunting, particularly if you are a single young adult. As an au pair, however, it shouldn't be as nerve-wracking. This experience is usually positive for an au pair and the hiring family. Being an au pair can be an incredible experience. Au pairs have the opportunity to embrace a new culture, improve their language skills, especially if they move to another country where a foreign language is spoken. They also have the ability to make lifelong friends and gain independence. Au pairs are usually female between the ages of 18 and 30. This does not mean there are not older au pairs or there are not male ones. It is just more common that an au pair is a female ranging from the age of 18 to 30, and I want you to know this for the sake of this case. Families will provide au pairs with a room, meals, and small wages to spend on themselves in their free time. Now, this isn't just done because people are freely opening their homes to strangers and paying them to be there. <laughs> no, all of this is usually in exchange for childcare and some household chores. It just depends on the agreed arrangements between the family and the au pair. It is an extremely appealing way to spend a year of your life. You can spend roughly a year of your life traveling and seeing the world, all while being paid to do so with free room and board. It's also extremely convenient. Once you are connected with a family, everything is organized in terms of accommodation and employment. It's like a paid vacation. I mean, yeah, you gotta work, but I mean some chores that you'd already be doing around the house that you currently live in, not so bad. Oh, you might have to watch some kids? Awesome, bring them along on some fun adventures in a brand new country. All in all, it seems like a really great job. Of course, yeah, it can be a disaster. Inviting someone you've never met in person into your home has plenty of risk. As does moving to a different country and staying with a family that you've never met. Anybody who's a fan of true crime, anyone who's listened to even so much as one episode of this podcast, will know all too well that appearances can be deceiving. In short, obhering requires a high level of trust from both parties. 
What happens when that trust is broken? This is the story of a young woman whose experience as an au pair should have been rewarding and fulfilling. A truly memorable time of her life. But instead, it turned into a living nightmare. One that she would not survive. What happened was so gruesome, so disturbing, that it shocked residents to the core. Her charred remains were discovered by firefighters. They cooked chicken on a barbecue nearby to try and hide the smell. Hello, love. <laughs> Eventually, I'm going to learn to stop doing accents. But let's not dwell on that. Right now, we're going to hop in my DeLorean right here. For some reason, it's made of wood. Anyways, we're going to head back to September 20th, 2017. This would be when a series of calls came in from concerned neighbors. These neighbors were located around a flat in Southfields, Southwest London. And they were all calling with the same complaints. Located in the residence of Sabrina Coudier and Usem Meduani's back garden was a bonfire burning. But why would a bonfire have neighbors calling the authorities complaining? It was because of the smell that was accompanied with the smoke. Now, neighbors weren't just complaining because they could smell the smoke and it didn't smell appetizing, and they weren't just upset because they didn't get an invitation to the neighborhood barbecue. No, no, they actually had a right to be concerned. Not only was there a dark, sinister secret hiding in the flames, but those flames were also on the verge of taking over and wreaking havoc in this neighborhood. Now, as this fire was raging out of control, Usem and Sabrina stood nearby, just hanging out, cooking chicken on a grill. You know, just a, a normal afternoon, barbecuing as your backyard goes up in flames. Authorities did notice that the couple appeared to be relaxed and completely unconcerned about the raging flames that were literally just feet away from them. They were just absolutely unbothered, waiting for their chicken to be done cooking. Once firefighters had gotten this fire under control, they made a very grisly discovery. When they looked at Usem and asked him, hey, what the hell was burning in here? He simply shrugged and said, eh, it's a sheep carcass that I bought down at the Wimbledon market. Obviously. Bollocks! Sorry, that was the effect for the detective that responded to that blatant lie from Usem. As soon as Usem said it was just a sheep carcass, Thomas Hunt, who was one of the first firefighters on the scene, straight up yelled bollocks to this lie. Thomas did not believe what he was staring at was the body of a dead sheep who had just been burned uh, unrecognizably. He didn't believe that for a second. You see, Thomas was about 100% sure that when he arrived there and was face to face with the fire, he saw a human nose and fingers burning in the flames. Sadly, Thomas's suspicions would turn out to be correct. The remains that were found in the bonfire were not those of a sheep carcass as Mr. Usem claimed, but rather those of Usem and Sabrina's 21-year-old French au pair, Sophie Layounette. In September 2017, a young French nanny was tortured, murdered, and thrown on a garden bonfire. Fire brigade turned up. One of them was putting the fire out and stamping it out. He realized that there was a body in the ashes. 
They cook chicken on a barbecue nearby to try and hide the smell. Fingers, limbs and part of a nose. There are no words. It's monstrous. She beat her with a, an electrical cord and she pushed and slapped her. I'm going to kill you, okay? Be quick! 21-year-old Sophie Lyonnais had also been interrogated and tortured whilst being filmed by her killers, Sabrina Quidair and Wiesam Maduni. What you were listening to was a quiet and unassuming girl being harangued, threatened and intimidated. It was a torture video. Sophie had been subjected to what can only be described as waterboarding. She had four broken ribs and a broken jaw. I can't believe what they done to her. She could have walked out. I don't know why she was stuck there. She would have felt absolutely trapped, both psychologically and physically. How did we not notice? It's unbelievable. This is one of the most tragic cases that I've ever covered. Let's go ahead and jump right back into that DeLorean. Doc would be so proud. Right now, we're going to head to January 7th, 1996. <laughs> Congratulations! It's a girl! On this day, in the town of Troyes in northeast France, Catherine Lyonette and Patrick Lyonette gave birth to Sophie, a beautiful little girl. Now, it's not exactly clear when, but at some point, Catherine and Patrick would go on to get a divorce. But don't fret, because Catherine would eventually meet Stefan. She would fall in love madly with Stefan Devalone, who would go on to become Sophie's stepfather. However, despite the divorce between her parents, Sophie also remained close with both her father and her mother. So it didn't seem that there was any animosity and any real turbulence. You know, I really do like to read about the fact that there are people out there that can co-parent in healthy manners and their children don't grow up to like, you know, resent them. Must be nice growing up in a healthy family. <laughs> we should look at that. I hurt my own feelings. Let's move forward. Sophie was absolutely beautiful. She had long, dark, curly hair, these like greenish gray eyes, and an extremely beautiful, kind, and warm smile. One that honestly, I hate to sound cliche, but could light up a room. No, I, I never met her, but I've seen videos and pictures of her. She truly seemed like such a beautiful, sweet woman. Many people described her as being quiet and gentle. Many more would go on to say that she loved nature. She loved animals. And one of her biggest dreams was to work with children. Growing up, Sophie enjoyed playing the guitar and reading and ice skating. She was just adventurous and something that she would find interest in, she would dive into and not stop. She had passion. She had hope. She had her whole life ahead of her. But nobody knew just how soon that life would end. Catherine, Sophie's mother, described her daughter as someone who hated suffering and injustice in the world. She was passionate about preventing any sort of animal cruelty, any form of animal neglect or animal abuse. Sophie was described as being completely selfless, someone who was generous to everybody, not for the benefit of her, but for the benefit of others. 
from all accounts and everything that I read about her. All the videos, everything. Sophie truly seemed like such a wonderful, beautiful woman. And she was truly loved. She just met the wrong people. I say that because cases like this frustrate me. Sophie was on a great path, heading to her dreams. She was working with children and, and getting to travel and live a very adventurous life. She could travel and educate herself while working with kids and meeting people all over the globe. You know, she was like on the right track, doing things that you and I could only imagine with our lives. So it's, it's not like she just made a bad decision and got in a rumble-tumble crowd. She chose a job that is often safe. Yes, it has its downfalls and does have its dangers. But the job that she took was the job that she had been wanting. A dream of hers. And while everybody in her life was happy for her, while she was happy to follow and pursue her dream, Sophie, Catherine, and everybody around her were not prepared for what was about to unfold. Buckle up, big boy. This one's a doozy. Sophie studied early years child education at college. Because she loved children, and uh, children always came to her, so she chose to do this job. Sophie found it difficult to get a childcare job locally. So when a friend showed her an advert for a French-speaking nanny to work with a family in London, she decided to apply. She had never left France. Her goal was not to go abroad to work, but this opportunity would open doors for her to find work. So she said to herself uh, that since I cannot get work in France, I'm going to England because it would be temporary. It would give her experience which would help her to find work in France. Plus, it would uh, improve her English there. school, Sophie completed a vocational course in childcare. Shortly thereafter, she was offered a position as an au pair in London. Compared to where she was growing up, which had a population of approximately 62,000 people, and what I could only compare to a town that's straight set out of a fairy tale? <laughs> For, well, in my opinion, that sounds amazing. But London is a completely different animal. It's a whole other world compared to the town of Troyes where she lived and since she was born. This would be no small feat for Sophie. Her friends would describe her as being very shy, very reserved, maybe a bit timid, and absolutely naive. When Sophie first arrived, obviously I didn't know who she was. I can remember when she first asked for cigarettes, uh, I had to ask for ID because she looked quite well under 18. I think she was very, very shy, you know, and timid. She was quite petite. I don't think she had a social life at all. I never seen Sophie with anyone. There's so many nannies around in Southfield. They're very happy. You know, they meet up on weekends. They even come to my restaurant. They bring the kids. They're all grouped up. They have a social life as well. But Sophie never had that. From day one, I knew her. She was by herself or with the family. Now, despite the fact that many people viewed her as being just, you know, shy, 
Sophie would view this move to London, this new au pair job, as an adventure. She didn't want to be the shy girl, she wanted to really do what she dreamed of. Although there may have been a little apprehensive bit about her, it was an excellent opportunity for her to spread her wings and get out of her comfort zone. Not to mention, it would also allow her to vastly improve her English. <laughs> Something I need to do as someone who speaks it fluently. If you're a regular listener, you know this. Words are tough. Especially English. Furthermore, Sophie would be working with children and gaining experience for her future career. You guys know, in childcare. Remember, that's her ultimate goal. So, so becoming a nanny and like moving to London to a brand new massive city. This was a huge change, but it was also a change in favor of her future. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure she was nervous. I'm sure she was scared. Probably getting a little case of the bubble guts before she got on the plane. <laughs> We've all been there. This was the adventure she'd been waiting for. The first step to the rest of her life. <clears throat> and again, I'm the bearer of bad news here. Sophie was taking a step in her life. Just, sadly, a step that would end it. Yeah, sorry, I'm always the bearer of bad news. It's like, it's like I just do that here. Tell y'all grim shit. <laughs> Let's continue with that. Grim shit. Because again, it just it gets worse, guys. It gets so much worse. So, <laughs> before I end this little segment, I'll leave you with this. In January of 2016, shortly after her 20th birthday, a very nervous but a very excited Sophie moved to London. Never, ever could she have known the horrors that were waiting for her. Yeah, I also know that it probably sounds like I said horrors, but I promise I said horrors. Horrors. Hard to ours. Again, <laughs> words are tough. Man, good job for Sophie trying to learn how to speak better English. Because, uh, <laughs> I really should too. But, like, <clears throat> just maybe in, like, a different way than she did. Okay, let's just keep moving. Let's just, let's move forward. Because I feel like I'm digging myself in a grave here. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Anyone else feeling uncomfortable? <laughs> no? Just me? Cool. A couple of customers said that there's a fire around on Pulborough Road. Somebody's doing a barbecue or it's too close to the patio and there's smoke billowing. One neighbour whose house backed onto the garden was so concerned about the fire, she rang 999. I disappeared at the back for a while and when I came out, it was carnage. Nancy called me and said, oh, the fire brigade are here. And I was passing by anyway, so I stopped and we were chatting. And as we were chatting, the police turned up. The road's been sealed off. There's about at least five or six police cars, two fire engines. Then they put up the white tent and they blocked off the road. And we were thinking, oh, what's happening? Then eventually another plane, a marked van came. Men in white suits got out. And that's when I realized that something is quite serious here. We couldn't understand what, why there was the tent there, why the police were there over a fire. It didn't make sense to us. Okay, who here has ever, ever dealt with a toxic person? 
I am sure that every single listener right now is like, yeah, mm, I have. Hell, maybe you've been toxic. (laughs) I know I have. No matter what, everybody knows what a toxic person is. So I'd like to introduce you to two of them. This is Sabrina Coudier. Honestly, that, that, that could be pronounced differently because I saw a lot of news coverage where it was pronounced a few different ways. And uh, shockingly, I, I don't speak French, so I probably am going to botch a lot of this pronunciation. Sorry about that, just bear with me. I am doing my best, I promise. And her partner, by the way, in crime, is the other person we're going to talk about. Sam Madoni, or Madoni Medowani. Again, a lot of different pronunciation in this case. And I'm just doing my best to deliver the facts to you. N- never said I'd be perfect at pronunciating. Anyways, we're gonna call Usam Sam. That's for the sake of your frustration and mine. Now these two were French nationals and they were living on Wimbledon Park Road. Oh yeah, by the way, I'm talking about that Wimbledon. For those of you who have no idea, there's like this super big uh, tournament in tennis, otherwise known as Wimbledon. <laughs> Woohoo! There was a little snippet of the Wimbledon theme song. Sorry, I felt like I needed to come back with some pizzazz. Anyways, back to the two in question here. Now, Sabrina was born in Algeria and moved to France as a child. At 19, she was manning a crepe stand at a fun fair just in the outskirts of Paris. This is when she would meet 24-year-old Sam. Now, right away, Sam was absolutely entranced by her beauty and her charm. (laughs) After all, you gotta be charming when you're ugly on the inside. And the beauty, well, you gotta wear a lot of makeup because it's not like you can eat it again when you're ugly on the inside. Immediately, Sam began to pursue her, like, relentlessly, and soon he became completely wrapped around her finger. He would do anything and everything she asked of him. And the man also endured a lot from her. He, he had it rough. Again, not excusing him. But Sabrina was manipulative and not loyal. She constantly would cheat on Sam. Then she would actually leave him for other men as well. But somehow she would always go back to him and and he would take her back. He would just accept it. No questions asked. Yeah, sure, you cheated on me. Oh, and you left me for someone else? Oh yeah, let's do this. Love you, Pookie. Mm. Oh my god, is that someone else's pubic hair? Oh, gross. I mean, I can only imagine how their conversations would go after she came back and apologized. So in 2005, at the age of 22, Sabrina left from France for London. Okay, here's some irony right here. She did this, moved like moved to London for a job as an au pair. <laughs> you know, like it's like a circle because of the beginning with Sophie. <clears throat> okay. Now at the time when this move happened, Sam was 27. And he got a job in London as a financial analyst. This was at a French bank. And uh, you don't even want to hear me try to butcher the name of this bank. So between Sam's job in finance and Sabrina, who would actually go on to become a successful fashion designer and makeup artist. That's right. She didn't stay an au pair. She just moved to London for the job, which I just, I found it ironic. So between their jobs, the couple would do very well for themselves. In fact, the time that they were living in the flat that they were located in Southfields, it was valued at 900,000 pounds. 
Not even sure in 2022 what the inflation would be for that. I also don't exactly know the inflation for over there. So I'm not gonna guess, but I'm sure it's a hefty sum of change. It was then and it is now, I'm positive. Now the pair did have two children, although there's not a lot about them out there. I believe they were boys and they were eight and four at the time that this story is happening. A lot of sources differ about the kids, so I don't wanna give you too much information because I don't want it to be like misinformation. Now, one of the boys was actually a child from a previous relationship. The father of her youngest child was her ex-boyfriend, Mark Walton. Don't worry, <laughs> we're gonna talk about him a lot in this story. Just again a little later, cause I just keep getting ahead of myself. Now, neighbors would actually refer to Sabrina and Sam as just some antisocial couple, and that the two were kind of odd, just a little strange, kept to themselves mainly. And I will give it to society. If you don't party and you're not extroverted, then you kind of are considered odd. Oh, you don't want to spend all of your free time with people? <laughs> Freak. I mean, these two in question were bad. But like, as an introvert myself, I... I don't want to be around people often. So like, yeah, call me strange, call me odd, call me antisocial. All of which are actually correct. So you're, you're fine in that. Now, Sabrina would go on to be described as always looking very glamorous. Um, side note, by the way, during this, as I am recording this, <laughs> someone decided to start mowing their lawn. Woohoo! It's, it's also a beautiful day. It's been raining for the past few days in Florida, so yeah. Mow on with your bad self. Just hope you guys can deal with a little bit of noise in the background. Hopefully the background audio covers that. Now, Sabrina, as stated, was always described as just being very glamorous and dressing really well. But the couple, for how friendly and like nice they would look and how they would just be like approachable, because <laughs> they would dress so nicely and just smile and whatever. Yeah, they weren't friendly. They weren't, they weren't friendly, it seemed, at all. In fact, people would say that they were kind of just like inconsiderate. Their neighbors often just thought of them as being rude. They left garbage sitting on the street and outside of their home for days, not thinking about the fact that if they didn't pick it up, somebody else was going to have to. They would also park their cars and block neighbors' driveways just intentionally and with, without any care. They also would withhold rent from their landlord intentionally. Just, you know, to be an asshole. But we're gonna learn. This couple, yeah, they're not exactly the nicest people. Even though they're well-dressed, manicured, live in a very beautiful, expensive location. Always like just looking perfect and smiling and seem to be living the best life. You would think they'd be the nicest people. You'd think. But looks, oh my god, can they be deceiving. For the first year or so, no one outside the family took much notice of Sophie. Okay, I know what you're thinking. How can some young girl who takes a job as an au pair, something that people do all the time, end up being the center of an investigation for murder. Well, okay, at first, Sophie's experience as an au pair for Sabrina and Sam was a positive one. And the children actually adored Sophie. They didn't give her a hard time, they weren't mean, they didn't play pranks, they loved her. 
And Sophie was killing it. Like, I mean, seriously, it was her job to take care of kids. And she was doing amazing at that job while she was there, just following her dreams. Sophie also went on to go and make friends with some of the other nannies in the area. She was really genuinely enjoying it. Even Catherine would go on to mention how when she spoke to her, when she'd call home and just tell her all about her days, she sounded happy. Sophie even told her mother how pleased she was with how everything was going. She told her how she would sit at the table in the kitchen and have a cup of tea with Sabrina and they would talk for hours. They began to get so close that due to the fact that Sabrina was into fashion and a makeup artist, that one time she gave Sophie a makeover. And she told her mom all about this. So it seemed that the two were pretty close for being employee and employers. You know, two people that live together but are there for work. Work in a sense. She's there to take care of the kids and, and just make sure that everything goes in the swing of things as they should. But the two really seemed to get along at least <laughs> in the beginning. It's not sure when, it's not even sure how, but somewhere along the line, again, it's difficult to tell, but things begin to go downhill. And sadly, and more terrifyingly enough for Sophie, she had no idea just who was in the house with her and how much danger she was in. You guys remember how I mentioned toxic people and how two of them we're going to be talking about in this episode? Yeah, you know, <laughs> Sabrina and Sam. Well, time to hop on that crazy train, because shit's getting bonkers. Guida had a dark side. She was erratic, volatile, and prone to mood swings, and had a delusional obsession with her celebrity ex-boyfriend, Mark Walton, founding member of the Irish boy band, Boyzone. Walton and Quidair had a passionate and turbulent relationship. They separated in 2013, but Quidair became obsessed with and fixated by him. Goes back about five years um, when Sabrina Quidair um, stopped going out with Mark Walton. She appeared to him to be a, a volatile character and uh, prone to mood swings, but um, she also uh, had something of a hold over him. She was prone to outbursts, to shouting at random people in the street and acting in a strange and volatile manner. They had an acrimonious split. She left and he didn't know why. At the murder trial, it emerged that Mark Walton had helped Quidair financially by paying the first few months' rent on her Southfields flat. But when he stopped supporting her, Quidair became enraged. When the relationship between Quidair and Mark Walton broke down, I think that was the catalyst for all of the things that happened subsequently. She didn't take the breakdown well. She wouldn't have taken the breakdown well. It's the kind of person that she is. And she became fixated on either getting him back, getting control back over him, or if she couldn't do that, getting revenge. Oh, 
Okay, so this little tidbit of the podcast, we're going to talk about obsession and boy bands and just a lot of delusions. Honestly, it's going to get a little fucking weird. But you know what? I want you to hold on, strap in, and just get prepared. Because what I'm about to tell you is going to sound like the plot to some bizarre Lifetime movie. But please know this is all relevant to the case at hand. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Mark Walton. Mark is Sabrina's ex-boyfriend and father to her younger child. For some reason, Mark had some strange hold on Sabrina that was baffling and just unfathomable. It would lead to the detriment and downfall of Sophie's life. But before we get there, I need to talk about a boy band. And no, 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 I'm not talking about the nostalgic ones. It's tearing up my heart when I'm with you. But when we are apart, I feel it too. No, we're not talking about them. We're going to talk about the band Boyzone. Oh, that sounds a little sexual. Anyways, that's Boyzone. And they were formed in 1993. And wouldn't you know, one of those founding members of the band was Mark Walton. Now, Boyzone would go on to be extremely successful in the UK. I'm talking pretty big. Sadly though, Mark would not be included in this. Mark was basically pushed out of the band by some of the other members. It was really one of those, you can't sit with us moments. You know what? I'm not doing it justice. And you can't sit with us. You can't sit with us! Yeah, so they were like, yeah, I'm sorry, Mark. You gots to go. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Grab a goodie bag. Toodaloo. And again, they just blew up, but he wasn't a part of it. So that doesn't really matter because it's not part of the story. But what is part of the story is what's going on at the time this all is taking place. Now, for reference, Mark is living in Los Angeles and working in the music industry still. Just nothing to do with Boyzone. According to Mark, he and Sabrina were in a relationship from 2011 to 2013. But for some reason, after Sophie arrives to London and begins working as the au pair, Sabrina starts to think that maybe something else is going on. And this is when her and Sam begin exhibiting some extremely odd and delusional behavior. So Sabrina's delusions centered around the odd and bizarre notion that her 21-year-old au pair was having some sort of canoodling and romantic tryst with Mark. But it wasn't just that she was possibly sleeping with him and they were involved in something. No, 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 that's not just what angered her. She believed that they were also in some sort of elaborate plan. Yeah, apparently Sophie was helping Mark in some sort of attempt to harm not just Sabrina, but her husband and her family. But here's the thing, Sophie had never ever met Mark. That didn't stop Sabrina, however, because in her mind, 
they had met, they were doing stuff, you know, the brown chicken, brown cow, and things were bad. They were happening and they were bad. It just, it wasn't looking good. But here's the thing. This little delusion she had that Sophie and Mark had some sort of relationship and Mark was coming in and hurting the family wasn't the only thing she believed. No, 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 guys, it gets, it gets really bizarre. It gets really strange. Police had received more than 30 reports from Sabrina all about Mark, all of which also turned out to be completely bogus. She was given a caution notice by the police for creating a fake profile. She used this profile in order to harass Mark. Mainly, she would accuse him of being a pedophile. She also didn't just accuse him of being things like a pedophile. She also accused him of using black magic on her. She swore up and down that he hired a helicopter and he used this in order to fly over her house and spy on her. But what takes the cake in her accusations, guys, is that she said he sexually assaulted her cat. Okay, now listen, 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 listen. Before you were like, Harmony, how dare you try to like knock some sort of uh, uh, accusation to the side because it sounds bizarre. No, not what I'm doing. I'm not someone who's gonna go, that didn't happen. But in this case, it didn't fucking happen because Sabrina doesn't have a cat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, let that sink in. So now Sabrina is in this like weird delusional obsession I'm sorry, obsessious is not a word. Obsession isk this she's obsessed with this man. That was that was the whole point of that. And he is the center of all of her delusions and just misbeliefs. And in the center of, of a few of those is Sophie. So now Sophie is caught in the crossfire of this clearly mentally ill woman. And she believes wholeheartedly that Sophie and Mark are sleeping together. And they both, they must be pedophiles. They must be spies. And Sophie has got to be helping Mark. She's helping him come into the house. He's drugging her. He's drugging the kids. And he's sexually assaulting everyone there. This is exactly what she believed. And it was these horrifying, tormenting delusions that she was plagued by that would lead to the unthinkable. But before we get there, did you know that uh, delusions, <laughs> they're contagious? Oh yeah, oh yeah. In something that is known as folodu, 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 folemignon. You know what, when we come back, I'll say it correctly. Or, I mean, like, I'm crossing my fingers that I will. Je te coupe plow. Je te plie blue. Je te floop flee. Je te coupe blue. Je te bleu Mais la Quida also had a dysfunctional relationship with Sam Maduni, whom she'd known since childhood. And although he lived at her flat, he would often disappear for months at a time. They did see Maud, the whole setup, working out who was related to whom. It was all a bit strange. She was hardly ever there, very glamorous. He always wore a flat cap, looked very shabby. You wouldn't put them together as a couple at all. No one really seemed to know them as far as I was aware. They weren't aware. sociable. No. No, they, they didn't come to street parties. They didn't sort of chat or introduce themselves. You know, they didn't, they didn't want to be part of the community, which mm. is quite an unusual thing around here. They didn't want to partake in anything. 
I got it. I got it. Folia do. This is what is believed that Sabrina and Sam were suffering from. Folia do is a very rare psychological disorder. The literal translation means madness for two. Or dual psychosis. It is a psychiatric syndrome in which symptoms of a delusional belief and sometimes hallucinations are transmitted from one individual to another. Some fucking scary shit. And yeah, it happens. Don't believe me? There are other famous cases. Those of which include Ian Brady and Myra Hindley that has to do with the Moores murders and Fred and Rosemary West. Now this doesn't just happen out of the blue. Sabrina had been previously diagnosed with some mental illness like depression and borderline personality disorder. On top of these existing psychological disorders, she manipulated Sam into sharing her delusions with her. Sam was so devout, so obsessed, and just so in awe of her. He was always and would always do anything she asked. He was always completely on board with anything she said or did. No matter how, how off the wall it was, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter to him. In fact, he not only entertained her delusions, he fully embraced them. It wasn't just one of those, yeah, baby, I'll sit here, I'll listen to you vent. Oh my God, you think Sophie's what? I can't believe, oh my God, with Mark? Rude. No, 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 that's not the kind of divulging he would do and like the kind of embracing, mm -mm. he would feed it, you know? Yeah, I seen him around. I remember, I think he was sitting outside the other day, watching, watching as the kids were outside. You know, shit like that, just really adding to her delusions and he, in turn, believed them as well. During a psychiatric assessment, Sam was not found to have any mental health issues, but he did fully believe in Sabrina's accusations against Mark. For whatever reason, this lady, Sabrina, God, Sabrina, she just had some sort of strange effect and could put some crazy spell on men. She wants to say that Mark was doing black magic? Okay. Takes a bad witch to no one. I'm kidding, but seriously, it definitely sounds like she's the bad one here. But yeah, I don't know, maybe getting ahead of myself, who knows? Now in the beginning, her violent behavior towards Sophie was just kind of like starting out. Initially, Sam would leave the apartment, aka the flat, and just go out for a walk. He didn't join in on the abuse that Sophie would have to endure. The yelling, the screaming, the arguing, all that. No, he didn't, he didn't stick around for that. However, it was not long before he began to actually participate. Particularly after he became a part of Sabrina's ridiculous stories. Specifically the ones that Sophie was helping Mark come into their home so that he could sexually assault him. Yeah, he wasn't having any of that. And for some reason, he, be he believed that Mark was coming into his home and doing these things. Again, that reason was Sabrina, and her reasons were unknown. They were simply sharing this terrifying delusion that absolutely anybody would have a right to be angry about if it were true. But this horrible, horrible delusion, this shared existential nightmare that the two were sharing, would lead to the end. And that end would be Sophie's life.
She sent me a message saying that uh, she needed a little bit of money to finance her return. So I deposited the money in her account as soon as I got my pay so that she could buy her ticket to return. Sophie's mother then received two unexpected phone calls from Quidair in which she made some strange allegations about her daughter. Sabrina, Sabrina had told me she, that she was keeping Sophie because there were disagreements and problems she wanted to solve. I said to Sabrina, listen, do your best to make her come home. The final months of Sophie's life had to be miserable. I mean, we're gonna talk about them, and you know what? I'm gonna let you be the judge. Several members of the Southfields community recalled seeing Sophie out and about in the months that led up to her murder. However, she was very shy and didn't speak a lot of English. And she didn't really speak to a lot of people that she didn't know very well. But there was one person who would later speak to the press about Sophie. And this man was Michael Cromer. I've included his audio a few times in this episode, but he owned a fish and chip restaurant in the area and had spoken with Sabrina and Sam about the possibility of going into business together. Sophie would sometimes join the couple at the Cromer's restaurant and she would barely even speak to him, even though he was kind of like a fixture in those last months of her life because Sabrina and Sam were constantly kind of meeting with him and talking to him about this possible business venture. She really was just this shy and, and timid girl. She would come in a few times on her own, and he states that she was clearly upset when she would do this. Michael would even go on to ask her what was wrong. This is when she would claim that her mother was ill. Now I know what a lot of you guys are asking. If she was unhappy, or if her mother was sick, whatever the case was, why wouldn't she just leave her employer's home? Well, you're not the only person asking this. Many people, including those who were prosecutors for the Crown, asked this question. I mean, it was obvious. Sophie had even written to her family speaking about leaving. The last few calls with her mom was all about wanting to leave. However, it seemed like the, the pair manipulated and gained control over her and the situation, which means Sophie wasn't going anywhere. This brings us to roughly April 2017. This would have been about 15 months into her employment as an au pair. Her mother noticed that her daughter really was unhappy, and at this point, she was, quote, fed up. She told her mother, I want to come home. Side note, it seems that even if Sophie did want to go home, and maybe she could try, it wouldn't have happened. While searching Sabrina and Sam's home after Sophie's murder, investigators never ever found her passport or the plane ticket that her mother had bought for her. It was likely that the two had destroyed them, all in order to make sure she didn't leave. This now brings us to a phone call that Catherine had with her daughter. In August of that same year, in this phone call, at one point she recalls that her daughter sounded disoriented and even began to cry. She claimed that Sophie said she was being beaten and that she was no longer being paid and she was being interrogated constantly. Sabrina and Sam were also not allowing her to eat anymore, which in turn meant she was becoming extremely thin. In the final 12 days before Sophie's murder, she had become a prisoner inside the flat on Wimbledon Park Road. She was no longer 
allowed to leave. On September 20, 2017, firefighters would be called to the flat and discovered a body being burned on a bonfire. And just two days later, Sabrina and Sam would be arrested on suspicion of murder. Michael suspected something was wrong, but he could never in his wildest dreams imagine what Quidair and Maduni were doing to Sophie behind closed doors. Imagine yourself every day in a cage like an animal. Or what they were planning to do with her next. When the two were arrested for Sophie's murder, they were taken into custody and charged. At their trials, Sam and Sabrina did a most unusual thing. <laughs> and by unusual, I mean a very common thing here. So, their trial began in March of 2018, and it was at the London's Old Bailey. Now, now, listen, listen. The two admitted that they did try to dispose of the au pair's body. However, wouldn't you know, when it came to who was actually responsible for the murder of Sophie, well, they pointed the finger at one another. Yeah, they both refused to take any blame in who actually killed her. It's a tale as old as time in these cases. It's always, no, no, I didn't do it, I swear. It was them. It's always, always the other person. The prosecutor for Sam and Sabrina was Richard Horwell QC. The QC stands for Queen's Counsel. Now Richard would go on to explain to the jury exactly what Sophie was enduring for those last few months of her life. All the horrific abuse, accusations, and arguments at the hands of her employers. And all of their motives for their heinous and gruesome acts were simply punishment and revenge. But the revenge and this, and this punishment wasn't against Sophie per se. It was against Mark. And again, Against Mark because, you know, Sabrina's obsessed with him, but against him for things that were absolutely false. Things that she made up. And Sophie, she just happened to get in the crosshairs. As I said, Sabrina's accusations against Mark were purely false and delusional. They were nothing but these like nightmaric, night, nightmarish <laughs> situations. I know, nightmaric is not a word. I know, I know. I fixed it. But these just horrible fantasy situations that she would tell people and claim were real and happened never did. Richard would go on to say not only did she live in this delusional world, but she took control of Sam. She took her delusions and her ability to manipulate and gain power over others because Sam, according to Richard, was weak. He was a submissive and an pliable individual who was, quote, punching above his weight when it came to women. That was a quote, by the way, from the trial. I don't want anyone to like send me an email and go, that was rude. I'm just, I'm just the messenger. Please don't shoot me here. But what Richard would say is that this was demonstrated, this sort of submissive behavior, how he would do anything if a, if a pretty woman just, you know, gave him attention, was actually demonstrated in the relationship he had with Sabrina. And we are gonna learn just how much power and manipulation Sabrina really has over people. The way she lures you in, gets you comfortable, makes you feel as though you're safe, and then fucking devours and rips you apart. And sadly for Sophie, it meant the end of her life. You know, sometimes I wish I could have like a happy ending in these cases. You know, like, oh, surprise guys, <laughs> the murderer had a change of heart and was like, you know what, I'm not gonna do this. 
Oh, but how am I telling you about it? They wrote a book! No, they didn't go to jail. They just shared how, like, this one time I almost killed someone, but I didn't. Right in the midst, I was like, ah, I can't do this! And everyone lived happily ever after. <clears throat> but that's not gonna happen. Yeah, so, uh, let's continue. In the weeks before her death, Sophie had been the victim of a series of brutal and violent interrogations. Unbelievably, these sessions were recorded by Quida and Maduni on a mobile phone. I will not leave you alone until you tell me the truth. Is this clear? Do you understand? You guys remember Richard Horwell, the guy I, like, literally, I just told you about him. Like, not even, I don't know, like, maybe like a minute ago? Anyways, I'm here to remind you, yeah, that guy. He would tell the jury more and more about what happened to Sophie and what she experienced. He spoke of how, yeah, she was naive and, and she was shy. She was someone who was unable to defend herself against the manipulative nature and the abusive person that was Sabrina. Quote, Sophie was not only young, but also, we suggest, naive and particularly vulnerable. And this made her an easy target for abuse and exploitation. That's a direct quote from the trial. It was easy for them to break her down. They had these vigorous, violent, and vicious, relentless interrogations against her. They involved beatings and holding her head under water in a bathtub. Eventually, they would even force Sophie to confirm to Sabrina's deranged accusations, telling her that they were true. They wanted her to say that she was conspiring to help Mark Walton come to her home so that he could drug them and sexually assault everyone in the family. They threatened her and told her that if she did not admit to this, she would be raped, she would experience the worst violence she's ever had in her life, and then she'd be sent to prison if she did not still confess. These people were super fucked up. And again, mind you, this, all of this torture, all of this incessant, horrible abuse is all because of Sabrina's delusions. Again, Sophie did not know Mark at all. Never met, never canoodled, never even spoke. Yet, according to Sabrina, they were absolutely, positively, po positively, they were fucking. According to a video that was taken on September 18th in 2017, Sophie is seen confessing. Now, this video was also shown to the jury. In it, she is emaciated and looks completely broken. Sadly, shortly after this video was taken, Sophie would be dead. Quote, this is from Richard Horwell, You will have seen the state of Sophie when she uttered the words that can be heard on the video clip. And whatever may be said about the final confession is anything but voluntary. Richard would go on and describe Sam and Sabrina's action as, quote, campaign of intimidation, torture, and violence. This behavior, these actions of these two insanely toxic and just bad people would lead this young, naive woman to be crushed. She's in another country, living in someone else's home, surrounded by strangers. She had no way out. Sabrina and Sam made sure of that. Like, they, they absolutely made sure of that. And it seems that it just got to the point that she just started going with everything. Maybe, maybe it was in hopes that they'd allow her to live. 
Maybe it was in hopes that it would all stop. But they didn't. None of it stopped. It just, it continued and it, it got worse and worse and worse. These interrogations were recorded on the cell phone of both Sabrina and Sam. There were more than eight hours of recordings where they uncovered all the torture and abuse that they just had recorded. Who knows how much more there was that wasn't recorded or uncovered. All of this was played for the jury. In one of the recordings from September 11th, just nine days before the murder, Sabrina can be heard screaming at Sophie. You destroy everything you touch. I was trying to find myself again. I pray to God not to make me touch you. I don't want to make my hands dirty. Like, it's, it's fucked up. All the recordings, everything she went through, she's so fucked up. I always think that as I do my research, I'm just, I'm going to get to a point where these aren't going to shock me anymore. And you know what? I'm desensitized to a lot of these things. But every once in a while, I'll come across a case and I'm just like, okay. <clears throat> yeah. Another reason why I know people are fucking trash. And you know what? Well, Sabrina, she's that. Fucking trash. Let's let's continue, because like maybe you guys still think that she's kind of cool. I don't know. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> but like, let's continue. You will not go back to France until you've told me the truth. I'm going to spoil your life as you have spoiled mine. She started coming out with all these accusations about um, Sophie meeting Mark Walton secretly and plotting against her. What you were listening to was a quiet and unassuming girl being harangued, threatened and intimidated. They said that she'd be locked up for 40 years. She was like a murderer. All of this was to make her confess. Whether you speak or you don't speak at your trial, you will do so. You will be jailed. Quide was the one really who was instigating this whole thing. And she was the one that was keeping control. That's very unusual. In 95% of cases, it will be a man, especially in this type of case. You better know that we will not let you go back until we know the whole, whole, whole truth. Nothing but the truth. I think Madhuni probably would have been willing to do anything for her. It's not even a case, really, of whether he believed what she was saying. It's that he believed he wanted to do something to please her. The tapes contained evidence, not only of verbal abuse, but violence which had now become more and more extreme. I think there were about eight and a half hours of interrogations in the weeks leading up to Sophie's death and they got progressively worse. There was evidence that Sabrina Carida beat Sophie at least three times. She beat her with a, an electrical cord and she pushed and slapped her. I'm going to kill you, okay? Be quick! You can hear on the recordings noises that sound like um, slaps, although Sabrina said that they, 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 were, they weren't her slapping Sophie, but it did certainly sound like she was being physically abused. Think carefully about 40 years in prison. Close your eyes for one minute, okay? Imagine yourself every day in a cage like an animal. I couldn't sit through all of it because it was it was really it was really too much. Sophie's mother 
particularly struggled to, to uh, contain her emotions and at one point during this harrowing footage she, she broke down in tears and had to leave the room. Yeah, there are no words. It's monstrous. It's a moral harassment. What they did, I cannot stand it. They destroyed the family. They destroyed the life. They hurt my daughter. There really are no words to express how I feel. Let's talk about what happened to Sophie. Well, in a sense, we're gonna kind of like lean up and ease into this. Because as gruesome, as complicated, as obsessive, and as bizarre as this case is, it's also just as grotesque and, and gruesome. Before Sophie's body was even thrown into the bonfire, before Sam and Sabrina were like, you know how we could hide this? Let's grill some chicken. Yeah, before all of that, it was noted that Sophie had suffered significant violence, all at the hands of her employers. Her injuries included a fractured jawbone, sternum, and five broken ribs. It was also very clear by the state of her body that she had endured abuse over time. This wasn't just one episode. This happened consistently for a while. In the end, Sam and Sabrina decided to burn Sophie's body. They also decided that burning the body should happen in the back garden of their apartment complex. Because nobody's gonna ask any questions. They thought if they burned the body, they could hide and cover up the murder of Sophie. And then, in order to hide the whole fact that there was a body in there and that the smell was just gonna kind of, you know, linger everywhere, they'd grill up some chicken. Because nothing says, I didn't kill anybody and there's definitely not a body in this fire, like, mm, the smell of chicken. <laughs> What's funny is, like, the smell of chicken for me, because I don't eat it, isn't appetizing. I mean, sometimes it is, because I, it's not like a, a personal preference that I don't eat it. Some meats just don't agree with my body. So I'm a pescatarian and I don't eat meat. Well, certain meat products. People like to argue that seafood is still meat, but like whatever, I don't care. But these two, they were smart enough to just think that the bright idea of grilling chicken, ch chicken, Jesus, what is wrong with me in speaking? They thought that grilling chicken was just gonna hide the smell of a burning body. We are dealing with some geniuses. Not only are they toxic, but boy, are they smart. So here's a quote directly from the trial. The fire was put out, then the burnt debris was turned over with a spade just to ensure that the fire had been fully extinguished. As the ash began to turn, the remains of Sophie started to turn and appear. I bet you're wondering right now, okay, so like, how did Sam and Sabrina think that they could hide this? Like, did they go into this blind or was there a plan? Oh yeah, no, these smart geniuses absolutely had a plan. Let's see what it figured out. Duh, obviously, that's why we're here, because they got away with it. <laughs> I'm kidding, let's continue. But they did have a plan, they did. Okay, so the gender and the age of the body weren't clear at first. And given how badly the body was burned, they believed it was probably gonna take a while. After all, Sam honestly believed that they were going to believe that the carcass of a sheep was what they were looking at in the flames of this fire. No one, no one believed it, but he thought they would. And what they were looking at, these remains that they saw, this, this corpse, this burnt fleshy mess, they couldn't identify it. It was a gruesome scene. 
It would take two weeks for them to identify the remains that they had discovered. To learn not only was it not a sheep, but it was in fact Sophie, and this was all let out on October 3rd, 2017. Okay, so sadly, they couldn't come to like a ultimate cause of death for Sophie, but they could determine that she suffered and she was immensely tortured. Like there's there's never a justifiable amount of torture. So I don't want anyone to be like, okay, so is there like a small amount of harmony that's okay? Or is there is there like a too much amount, which is what we're seeing here? No, it's not like there's a smidgen of torture that's okay. Just a little bit, just, just a tip. It hopped up enough to make some bad decisions. Perhaps play a little game called just a tip, just for a second, just to see how it feels. <laughs> Sorry, that was fitting. At least, at least for me it was, it was a little humorous. Maybe somebody else out there chuckled. If not, all right, continue, let's go. Okay, on a serious note, they could determine that there were most likely one of three ways that Sophie had been killed. First, they believe that one of the likely causes could have been a blow to the head. Next up, they believe there was a possible, possible angle of strangulation. And lastly, the thought of drowning even has been thrown around. Every single one of these was evident on her body. There was no doubt, it was completely evident that Sophie had lived a last few months in her life just, just full of torture, full of pain, full of anguish, full of fear. And there was nothing she could do. And all of this was because Sabrina was so delusional. But would the murder of Sophie be senseless? Would it be in vain? Would there be justice? Well, I mean, I guess you gotta stick around to like, We'll learn more, so don't go anywhere. In the end, they ground her down so much that um, in the hours before her death, they filmed her actually confessing to colluding with Mark Walton, which was clearly completely untrue. It was a, it was a figment of Sabrina Carido's imagination. The worst part was seeing the, the image of Sophie Lyonne after everything that had been done to her. She looked emaciated. She looked completely broken. Mark Walton would decide to fly from Los Angeles to London in order to testify against Sabrina. During Mark's testimony, he said that he and Sabrina had been in a relationship for roughly about two years, and he was very much in love with her. She was, however, extremely volatile and absolutely unpredictable. He could never predict when she would suddenly snap and start screaming at him, just verbally assaulting and berating him. He had this to say during the trial. Quote, she would go from a softly spoken French accent, then she would flip, get very angry, very loud, and just not care where we were. She would just go crazy over something trivial. Mark even stated that when the two were together, he paid for several nannies, but <laughs> Sabrina would always fire them. You see, she was paranoid, paranoid that they were stealing Mark from her because they were flirting with him, or it looked like the two may have had something going on. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Here's another thing that was stated in the trial, and I quote, Mr. Richard of the Queen's Council asks Mark a question. Quote, 
We have heard that your name was referred to by Sabrina before and after her arrest. Have you ever heard of Sophie Lionette? To which Mark replied, Never, ever. Oh wait, but there's more. Richard would ask him, Have you ever talked to her? Never. Have you ever communicated with her in any way? No way, never. The very, very first time that Mark had ever, and I mean ever, heard the name Sophie in regards to Sophie Lyonnais was on September 21st, 2017, when police in London contacted him the day after the murder. So there was no way at all that they could have had any sort of relationship. I'm pretty sure I keep saying 2017 when I should be saying 2016, but I think you're smart enough. You're a smart cookie, you can figure it out. So, okay, what was Sabrina and Sam's defense? What was their story? What was their plan? What really happened? <laughs> I mean, okay, according to them, what really happened? Stick around, buddy, you're about to find out. One of the key pieces of evidence in the trial was from a third party, a, a witness in the house, who'd heard both Sabrina and Sam in the bathroom with Sophie, saying, breathe, breathe. That was a critical piece of evidence because neither one of the defendants was really telling the truth. trial, Sabrina was represented by Ica Pert QC, and Sam, he was represented by Orlando Pownall. So, uh, the defense was weak, and again, that's just, that's just me being nice. The defense was actually pure garbage, trash shit, just not believable. Throw it to a wall, it's not sticking, but let's go ahead and try. Before we talk about the defense they use, I want to tell you guys the plan that they went with when they originally talked to authorities. The plan between Sabrina and Sam when they first, you know, decided to go ahead and unalive Sophie was not just to burn her body in order to hide this heinous crime. They were telling authorities that she got homesick and just decided to go ahead and head back to France. Hey, and you know what? <clears throat> they didn't find her passport or anything like that, so yeah, that could be true. Except it was her body in the fire, so no, no it's not. But that was their original story, was that I don't know where she went, I don't know why she's not here, she said she was going to go to France, so like, go check there. Oh that? In the fire? Well, first of all, can I offer you some chicken? But yeah, so besides that horrible story in the beginning, their defense was just very, very weak. And honestly, this, the, the attorneys they had just, they really, they didn't have much to, that they could do. They just, they couldn't really do anything to be like, oh no. <laughs> They didn't, they didn't do it. I had, can you take my word for it? What if, what if I pinky promised you it wasn't them? The defense also was kind of all over the place. They didn't, they just, they didn't have anything they could really go with. And again, it's like, they're just throwing things and being like, did that work? Nope. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, back to the drawing board. Let's, let's just, let's just keep trying. Let's keep trying. One of them is bound to work, <laughs> right? So Sam's initial statement was that Sophie died, quote, by accident. Yeah, um, see, accidentally, she passed away when he was doing an interrogation in the bath. However, he did retract this statement. He then said that he was trying to protect Sabrina. Yeah, and something happened and, well, wouldn't you know, Sophie's dead. Then there's a new statement. 
In this new one, he says that he was actually woken up by Sabrina telling him that Sophie was, quote, not breathing. He got up and found her in the tub, just like Sabrina said. But Sabrina had her own defense. Sabrina says that Sophie died in her sleep. Side note, but come here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull you aside for a second. I have had a friend actually pass away in her sleep. Guys, I was unaware of how, I guess, common this actually is because I've heard a lot of people try to use this as a defense and I'm like, that sounds fucking crazy. But it's actually, it's rare, but it's common at the same time. I don't know, make it work. But a friend of mine did pass away in her sleep. She actually choked because she was laying on her back and just the wrong piece of saliva went down the wrong tube and just it, it went south. So yes, people pass away in their sleep. Although in Sophie's case, this is just not fucking logical. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, we can continue now. Sam's initial statement was used against him. And this was actually done in defense of Sabrina. Quote, he says he forced her head underwater. He then held it there repeatedly. Mr. Maduni states he punched Miss Lionette in the face. Her head then went backward and hit the tiles. And as a result, she slipped under the water and fell unconscious. He then added that when Sam found her in the bath, she was unresponsive. He tried to drag her out and tried to resuscitate her, but he was unsuccessful. The prosecution would end up being successful in convincing the jury of Sabrina and Sam's guilt. On May 24th, 2018, after roughly a two-month trial, the couple were found guilty of murdering Sophie Lionette. So Sabrina and Sam both had their own reactions to hearing this news, by the way. I don't know, maybe, maybe in their own world, they really believed that they could get away with it. There's no doubt in my mind on what I read, what I saw, and what I learned about Sabrina that she, she maybe definitely lived in this like fantasy that she could do no wrong. In fact, she wasn't wrong. Everybody else was. And she was going to come out on top and she was going to get away with it. And then Sam, I don't even know. But they both reacted to the verdict. Sabrina immediately burst into tears while Sam just stared in his lap absolutely motionless. In my opinion, I think Sabrina, like why she cried, I don't think she cried for any remorse in her actions. I think she cried because she realized that everything was over. All of her delusions had just crumbled right there in front of her. And she was standing in reality and now she was terrified. She had to answer for what she had done and she had to admit it. And then there's Sam, just, you know, taken aback, sitting there like, fuck man, shit. I think I chose the wrong girl to like fall for because uh, hmm, really stepping at this time. Now, uh, <laughs> I don't feel bad for him like at all. Just gonna let you know that. Quote, they starved, tortured, and broke her until she could no longer fight. They took away her dignity and her, finally her life. This is a statement from Sophie's mother. They are self-obsessed monsters. Patrick Lyunet had this to say. Sabrina and Sam have not only stolen the life of my daughter so brutally and without remorse, they have also stolen mine. Sabrina had just started crying and um, Sophie's mother, Catherine Devalone, started crying as well. It's inhuman, these acts of barbarism 
They never said a single word of truth. It was all lies and contradictions. They never looked at me once or apologized for the harm they had done to Sophie. I do not understand what happened in their heads to get there. Je comprends pas ce qui s'est passé dans leur tête pour en arriver là. Contrary to what you heard, Sabrina did, in a sense, apologize. But I mean, can you really call it that? You know what? Again, I'm gonna allow you to be the judge. This is Sabrina's apology letter that she wrote to Sophie and her family. The very same one that she read out loud during the sentencing for, well, the murder of Sophie. Dear Sophie, may peace be with you. Okay, let's pause for a second. God, I fucking hope peace is with that sweet girl. Because if one thing's for sure, Sabrina, you made sure her last few months weren't. Okay, uh, let's get let's get back to the letter. Sorry about that. First of all, I wish everyone, including Sophie, especially her parents and family who are suffering badly, to just know how deeply sorry I am for what happened to Sophie. Um, uh, <laughs> hold on a minute. For what happened to Sophie? You know what? Before I let's let's just let's just let's just move forward. We shared many good times together, as well as pains, until things went terribly wrong, and it ended up in this horrendous tragedy. I swear to fucking, are you serious? You know what? I got. I'm gonna fucking continue before I lose my mind. I think of you every day, and I am shocked and sad that you are not a part of this world anymore. Sabrina, are you fucking serious right now? You had the audacity to put that in your apology letter. I'm shocked and sad that you're not here in this world anymore. Shut the fuck up. <clears throat> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's continue. Fucking get my blood pressure up and shit. It feels like I live in a horrible dream. A dream that I wish I could just wake up from. Every day I live with sadness and sorrow. Pause. Okay, hold on. The parent in me wants to say something right now. I have a seven-year-old little boy who is currently learning that there are consequences to his actions. Ah, uh, spoiler alert. Sometimes... They're not positive and they don't feel good. They make you sad, get a little angry. But we have consequences in this life. And her sadness and sorrow <laughs> is all because of her. So forgive me for not shedding a tear. But let's see how she closes out this banger of an apology letter. I am suffering every day thinking of you and what happened to you that dreadful night. <laughs> the night that you unalive so, you know what, I'm gonna stop. I only wish that I could turn back the clock, also that it never happened, and you would still be alive and here with us today. Sabrina! Fucking serious right now? It's an apology letter, I swear to God. I would be so pissed if I was in that courtroom. I'm pissed right now, and I'm just reiterating it to you. If I continue this show, I'm gonna have to go on blood pressure meds. I will now live without hope, and I can't ever imagine ever being happy again. Oh, boohoo, Sabrina. So sad that you can't imagine being happy ever again. Sabrina can't even imagine. Okay, I'm sorry. That was a little fucked up. But, like, Sabrina's not here. And you're just sad that you can't imagine and be happy ever again? Hmm. I don't care. But hey, she does close it out kind of strong. That was sarcasm. I struggle every day, and I am very disappointed in myself. That makes two of us, Sabrina. That makes two of us. Sophie, I wish things could have been different, and I hope that you rest in peace with God. With deepest regret, Sabrina. Yeah, Sabrina. Sorry, it's actually signed her Sabrina. Whatever. 
you know, Sabrina, yeah, it, she signed it her actual name because, like, nobody knew it was her writing the letter, obviously. I'm telling you, if she didn't sign it her full name, we would all be baffled on who wrote it. Now you remember how I had stated that there was definitely some sort of mental illness going on with Sabrina. Well, hey, wouldn't you know, at sentencing, you know what the defense tried to do? Pull that card. In some sort of last-ditch effort to get maybe some sort of leniency for his client, Sabrina's lawyer told the judge that her actions were a result of, quote, delusions and personality disorders. He said that these disorders and delusions left her with, quote, irrational and completely overwhelming fears. He said that Sophie was conspiring against her and her family with Mark. At least, that is it absolutely what Sabrina believed. And it was all because of these mental illness and delusions and hallucinations that she was suffering from. So, like, you gotta feel bad for her, right? Like, just a little bit. He even said that her behavior towards Sophie was, quote, entirely driven by Sabrina's mental illness in her desperation to obtain some sort of evidence of, quote, Mr. Walton's abuse. You guys remember the abuse that she always said happened, but never did. Or, I'm sorry, no evidence was ever found. I don't want to say that the abuse didn't actually occur. But, I mean, she did say that he sexually assaulted her cat. The cat she doesn't have cat she never had. The cat that doesn't exist. I'm just saying she's not exactly the most trustworthy woman. Now while the judge, Nicholas Hillard, who was presiding, did acknowledge that the couple were both severely delusional. Again, as I mentioned, they were suffering from Phileo Du. In particular was Sabrina. She was the one who was the driving force behind this delusion. However, this delusion was not a defense. It could not defend their heinous treatment of Sophie and what will become her eventual murder. There was no way that the judge could excuse or explain away the murder of this shy, timid, and vulnerable young girl. Looking directly at Sabrina and Sam, Nicholas, the judge, had this to say. I feel like I shouldn't call him Nicholas. Like, is that, is that bad? Like, am I going to be arrested for calling a judge by his, like, first name and just that? Like, is it honorable? Judge Hillard, Honorable Nicholas, the judge had this to say to them. Don't come for me, Nikki. Oh my god, I'm probably definitely gonna get, like, attacked by him if I ever see him in person, which I'm never going to, but seriously. Don't come for me, Honorable Sir. Quote, you were both involved in torturing Sophie in the bath that led up to her death and making her think that she would drown unless you gave her information you wanted, which was not in her power to give you because it did not exist. The suffering and the torture that you put her through before her death was prolonged and without pity. To say that he was upset and not pleased with the two, well, that's an understatement. I don't think anybody liked them. Well, again, there's some supporters that say, no, it wasn't them. It's okay, they're just following who they support. They're just being delusional, you know, not seeing reality for what it is. Now, when he would address Sabrina, he would say that her motivations were to see Sophie and Mark both suffer. But in his mind, there was no justifiable reason. He finished by stating this, quote, I do not think you thought for one moment you were acting lawfully. I'm sure you knew the way you were interrogating her was unacceptable in the extreme. It was unlawful to assault her. And she was in dreadful state by the time of her death. 
and torturing her in the bath was totally and utterly wrong. So what were the two sentenced to? We know the judge didn't like them, was probably planning to throw the book at them, right? Uh, well, I, I, justice was served, but like, kind of. Sabrina and Sam were both sentenced to life in prison, but they do have a chance of being let out. They must serve a minimum of 30 years. And then they can appeal and try to, I guess, get out and function in society. Yeah, that sounds like that's going to be a good time for, well, everybody. A celebration of Sophie's life attended by over 150 people. This celebration of life that was held for Sophie was held at a church in Sands, France on June 6th of 2018. Here is where Patrick, Sophie's father, had this to say. Quote, Sophie was so nurturing. She liked children and animals. She could not stand seeing others suffering, and it breaks my heart to know she was abused to the end of her life. Sophie's aunt had this to say. She was a pearl, kind and gentle. She loved everyone. She loved making people happy. I really, I, I, was, I was trying to end that on like a positive note, but I just, I made myself sad. I wanted to close that little bit out with like, you know, a little, a little quote from one of her family members. And instead, I just, I got all sad. I don't like this case. This case, this case is, it's horrible. It's just, it's really bad. It's traumatizing. It's just, it's, sometimes I'm still shocked at what people do to other people. I know, I know. It's, it's like, how, how can you be shocked? Like you read crazy things all the time. Day in and day out, I am on the internet every day just reading about the horrible nature of one another to one another. Humans are just, we are fucking monsters. We are, you wanna, you wanna believe in demon, demons? Yeah, look around. Humans are that. We are demonic creatures. We do brutal things to one another. And we have our reasons, our excuses, our for whatevers. There's no doubt though, we're fucking trash. We are selfish, we are manipulative, and we care for nobody but ourselves. And no, I'm not calling you out, so please don't get mad and don't write me some angry email saying that you feel personally attacked. Because what I will say is one thing. If anything I say about a murderer, a bad person, a killer, or all of the bad that happens in this world makes you feel bad. Not bad because it happens, but bad because you relate with the evil, don't come for me. Stop and take a look at yourself. Because yes, every week I will come here and tell you dark tales that happen around the world. Tales of things that give me nightmares. Guys, I can't even begin to tell you about the amount of, of stories and cases that I have sitting in a, like, a vault, a little, a little folder. Cases that I've had to pause. Things I've had to stop because of the nightmares and the horrors that just fill my head. Oh, so why do you continue, Harmony? Because this is our reality. Every day, billions of people are around the world living their own life. Everybody you pass, everybody you know, everyone you walk by, every stranger you've ever made eye contact with. Everybody has their very own life and their very own point of view. This is known as Sonder. Knowing that everybody has their own life, their own woes, and their own problem, just as you do. And sadly, some of those people are brutally murdered. They disappear. They are taken away. Vanished gone without a trace. Yeah, sure. Sometimes people are responsible, found, and justice has prevailed. But more often than not, evil does win. A life is taken and justice cannot prevail. Yeah, in this case, 
justice somewhat did. Sam and Sabrina, they're in jail. And I hope they never get out. 30 years, that's too soon. I hope they do get life. I hope they never, ever, ever step into society again. Because Sophie never will. So there's the case today. The case that's probably leaving you thinking, what the actual left? That's fucked up. That is fucked up. And you're right, it is. was the dominant person in, in the relationship, but Maduni was, was equally there during most of the recordings and, and, and chimed in uh, occasionally uh, to ask his own questions. So he was uh, very much part and parcel of what uh, Quida was doing and what she believed Sophie had done to her. When they were interrogating Sophie, they were seeking to support their own delusional way of thinking. Uh, they were encouraging Sophie to confirm the delusions that they had. Sophie was quite vulnerable because she had no support network here. She had nobody to go to. So she was a perfect person for Quide to manipulate. I think that Quide was so convinced by her delusions and Maduni also buying into this was convinced that these, these acts had occurred, that there's very little Sophie could have done to appease them. Now, whether she was murdered because the torture got out of hand or whether it was a deliberate premeditated act uh, is really only something that Quide and Maduni themselves would know. She could have walked out. I don't know why she was stuck there. She can come out to the street and tell help. People would have helped her. People might often ask the question when they hear of a domestically abusive relationship, why hasn't that person left? I'm sure some people might be asking that question of Sophie. We have to understand she would have felt absolutely trapped, both psychologically and physically. Uh, her emotions would not have allowed her or permitted her to feel that she had the strength of character to leave that household. The things that Quide had been threatening her with, Sophie probably thought would happen. She'd been told that she was a thief, that she was um, a sexual abuser, that she was working in cahoots with somebody else. She might have been terrified that had she even got to the airport, she'd have been arrested. How did we not notice? It's unbelievable. We would never have believed that something like that could have happened. It's so mm. incomprehensible to think that that happens, never mind so close to you. You just don't expect it. We feel really guilty that, you know, we didn't notice what was going on. She was such a lovely girl and it's just a horrible, horrible thing to have happened right in front of our eyes. I feel guilty because we just wish that they could have done something. She wanted to go back to France and she only needed 20 pounds or 25 pounds. You know, we would have given that to her. I feel bad I should have gone to the next level either made a complaint but that period was too short when that happened i think it's a week i saw her after that never saw her nobody thinks that this kind of thing is going on on their doorstep and that is one of the things really that helps abusers and controlling people to do what they do is because we all stand around on the outside thinking well it can't be that bad it's knocked our community, it really has. We're completely devastated by it. And it won't be forgotten. Yeah, but when you know you can help somebody.
So there is the case of Sophie Lionette, a disturbing murder of an au pair who decided to follow her dreams, went to a new country to take care of kids, something I think is absolutely admirable, only to be the victim of a gruesome murder, and all because a woman was suffering with her own delusions, delusions that were fueled by an obsession. Obsession over the guy from the boy band. <laughs> like I said, some sort of dark, bad movie. But it's not. This was the case of the au pair murders. Another story to leave you wondering, what the fuck is happening in our world? Oh, I know, I know. If that wasn't enough for you to make you think, wow, our world is pretty dark, pretty grim. I gotta hate it here. Well, stick around and maybe come back next week or check out my past episodes. If you like this kind of thing, then maybe this will be right up your alley. And hey, if you'd like, send me an email sometime. Maybe tell me what you think about an episode you listen to. Maybe you want to tell me about a case to look into. You got a conspiracy theory? I love those. Maybe a haunted place that you want me to look into and see if I get creeped out. No matter what it is, go ahead and send me an email if you'd like at whattheactualeffharmony at gmail.com. Well, I think I've been well, depressing enough for you. I know it's grim to say, but I hope you enjoyed this episode of What the Actual F. I know I thanked you guys from time to time for all of your support, your love, and everything when it comes to this content that I create for you. I also want to say thank you to Trails Clothing so very much. Please guys, don't forget to check them out as well. Anytime you check out my sponsors, you help me, and that is greatly appreciated. Now that I've spent a sufficient amount of time on this episode doing this research on this case, I am somewhat excited to say that I am closing the book on this one and probably not revisiting it for quite some time. This one just disturbs me. But I will tell you that soon I will be discussing more cases that are disturbing, and some of them surround themselves in the paranormal. Yeah, yeah, and I had to stop some of them. Cause shit got creepy. Anyways guys, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much for sticking around and checking out this episode of What the Actual F. Until we meet here again in order for me to tell you some sort of strange and morbid tale from around our world, I hope you guys stay safe. I love you, stay safe, maybe don't become an au pair, and I'll meet you here next week for the next episode of What the Actual F. Okay, well, bye! Le murder the murder of Sophie destroyed everything around us. People don't understand. The family is very shocked. Her dad is shocked, her big sister too, her brother who has just turned eight. He wanted to come with me to England to tell them that they had broken his heart and that they had broken Sophie's life. They must be locked up. These people have destroyed a whole family. And all the people who loved Sophie.